The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards, and this is our look at a women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Lots to look at this week, and I thought I would gather some expert knowledge in to help us look over this. We've got a friend of the podcast, Dom Smith of the Evening Standard. Hello, Dom. Hello there. We've also got fo- footballer for Hashtag United and content creator. You'll have seen lots of stuff on Instagram and TikTok. It's Alex Bayliss. Hello. <laughs> and, well, she's making her debut and another another person making their debut. We have part of She Scores Bangers, and she's also an expert on Canadian football. It's Marianne Kurabi. Hiya, Marianne. Hello. So we're going to get stuck into this weekend's action later on, but first I thought we could take a look at a very busy international week. England v Italy and Korea v Belgium were the two games we travelled to in Coventry last Sunday. We had a, a little podcast day out. And it's to take in the second round of the Arnold Clark Cup games. England and Belgium won both their opening games. It was a 2-1 victory to England thanks to two goals from Rachel Daly. We caught up with Rachel Daly. Well, Dom did. We'll hear that in a minute. But first, I want to get an Italian perspective. So here is the goalkeeper, Laura Giuliani, and then the press conference from manager Marlena Bertolini. So you lost today, but personally for yourself, a really good performance. It was amazing to play here today. Um, like I want to thank the fans. Uh, that was not for us, I know, but uh, it's amazing to play in stadiums like this. And um, for us, it was important to show like an aggressive behavior, and uh, we tried uh, to to draw until the end. So important for us is the performance, uh, and I'm happy if I have the team uh, doing good. Did the crowd give you motivation then to play well? Of course, and naturally when you have uh, so many supporters uh, and the people at the stadiums, uh, you always have one motivation more to, to perform and to give your best. But uh, it was important for us uh, to, um, like to, to perform well and, uh, and play as a team. After the Euros, do you feel, even though you lost today, that your performances as a team are improving? We are working on this, uh, like we change, uh, we are changing a lot, uh, we are trying new systems of playing, uh, so for us it's important to find uh, the, good, the, the best set uh, for us and um, we, we have enough time uh, to, to try what we train for and uh, I'm sure uh, we will arrive to the World Cup uh, at our best form. And you have one more game now against Korea as well, so you're looking forward to this? Of course, uh, like we like this match, uh, this game is is gone. So we have to focus on the next one, and uh, we will try to to play as we did today because we did very well, and uh, hopefully we will uh, take uh, three points, so a win uh, back uh, to Italy. How did you view the performance today out there, um, especially after the disappointing Euros? Do you think your team gave a good account of themselves? I'm happy with how the match went um, and I think that the players did well against a great team. Are you seeing improvements going forward towards the World Cup now in Australia? Stiamo 
Stiamo lavorando per migliorare, per crescere. C'è un po' un passaggio eh, di generazione tra giovani e grandi e questo è un periodo che usiamo per sperimentare e la partita di oggi ci dà fiducia. So we're working hard to improve and to grow as a team. Um, and we're in a bit of a transition period between young and older players and this um, tournament gives us an opportunity to experiment um, and it's also given us a lot of hope. E volevo fare i complimenti al calcio inglese, federazione nazionale per tutto quello che sta facendo e quello che noi abbiamo visto oggi è qualcosa di molto bello e che fa molto bene al calcio femminile non solo inglese ma in tutto il mondo, in tutta Europa, quindi oggi è stata veramente una bella giornata, quando siamo arrivati abbiamo visto tutto questa, questo pubblico, è un qualcosa che fa veramente piacere e, e noi in Italia speriamo di riuscire ad arrivare a questi livelli. So I just want to thank the um, English Football Association for everything that they've done, um, it's been really amazing to see uh, what's happened today um, and what they're doing for Uh, women's football, not only in England, but also um, around the world. Seeing so many fans here today was a real pleasure, and we hope that we can have the same in Italy going forward. The star of the show at that match, though, was Rachel Daly. She was given a chance up front, and Dom had a chat with her post-match after that game. Rachel, how do you feel that you, uh, you played today in England as well? Uh, it's not about me at all, but we got the win today and that was the priority, that was the focus, uh, coming out today with another three points on the board. So, yeah, a big win for us. And presumably confident that you can go and win this tournament now? Um, step by step, I think we've got another game to go and that's our focus now. And, you know, Belgium are a great team. Obviously, there's another game tonight. Uh, but, yeah, just take it game by game and, and hopefully we'll, we'll uh, pull through at the end. And you're very self-effacing, of course, but you did score both of England's goals today, so that must please you greatly. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be on the score sheet. It's my job as a forward to score goals um, and help contribute to the team's goals. But yeah, we got the win, and that's 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 all I think about right now. And just on Italy's goal as well, it looked you know dubious in two ways. Perhaps the cross had, had crossed the goal line for a goal kick, and, and also maybe the, the goal, the ball didn't actually cross the line for the goal as well. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, there's no VAR in this tournament. There's no goal line technology. Uh, the officials make the decision, and it is what it is. Just got to get on with it. And Dom, we heard from her there, but that performance in that game will have speeded up the calls for her to start up front. She's the joint top scorer as well in the WSL on 10 goals. And telling when, tellingly, when she came on as sub against Belgium on Wednesday evening, she went straight up front and they brought on Jess Carter. She went to left-back. So do you think her days of playing at left-back for the Lionesses are now a thing of the past? Well, I'd say if there's one player you wouldn't want to say, you know, never say never, it's definitely her. You know, she she's such a good utility player, very versatile, and I could definitely see her featuring at left back um, or or even on the left wing or right wing uh, for England again, but maybe not from the start of a match. Certainly, I think matches in which she starts, she probably will be playing in that number nine position now as, as a sort of focal point centre forward. Um, and of course, that is what she is by trade. Um, she She's got a very impressive American career, particularly for Houston Dash behind her. She signed for Aston Villa in the summer very much as their striker. And I think she's got, you mentioned that she's the WSL's joint top scorer. I think she's got uh, 16 goals in 18 games since joining in all competitions. She's just incredible, really. Um, she was obviously fantastic during the European Championships for England. 
um, at left back, keeping Alex Alex Greenwood out of the starting lineup, which is um, which I think a lot of people thought was a tad harsh. But of course, Daly did. Um, even though she's right-footed, she did you know step up to the mark and she played fantastically throughout the tournament, as all of the England players did. But no, you know, given the chance against Italy, she absolutely took it. And I think um, I think really, I mean, I, I wrote a piece. Um, after that game, saying that you know Viegman's been thinking for ages who's going to be my deputy um, behind Russo with Ellen White, of course, having retired. Um, well, I think the answer to who who should be second choice striker was has been right under her nose the whole time, and I think it is Rachel Daly. Now, it's easy for some people to say that Rachel Daly should start ahead of Russo because, of course, Rachel Daly scored twice in this tournament and Russo only once. But I think that would be a little bit reactive. I think Russo is probably the, the slightly higher pedigree of player. Um, but Daly, um, a phenomenal striker, um, really good in the air, as we saw with two headers, um, decent off both feet. Um, and I think I think we we saw in the Euros playing from the start in most uh, in every game, in fact, a left back. I think we'll see her at the World Cup it playing sort of 30 minutes at the end of each match coming on for Russo. I think that's her involvement come the summer. Interestingly, then, does that put Russo under pressure? Because she didn't score against Belgium, did she have to start him? So... There'll be lots of clamours for Rachel Daly to start over Russo now. There will be, unless um, Alessi Russo finds some really strong form um, towards the tail end of this season for Manchester United. But I don't think that's necessarily unlikely. I mean, Man United have been playing very well. So, um, but but and even besides that, I think Russo off the bench was such a threat during the European Championships that I think Viegman would be mad not to stick with her. Um, I'm not sure she should necessarily come under pressure for not scoring in a game against Belgium when, you know, six six goals were scored by her team. That that's not that's not embarrassing. That's just that the chances didn't fall to her. I I can I can only recall her having one shot. I think so. Um, no, I I think the position is hers. But Daly will say no. I'm I'm pushing you. You know, all the way and and, and rightly so. I mean, I think we we saw a fair amount of rotation, which is always a, a good thing, specifically in a friendly cup like this. But there was also a lot of questions around Serena Wiegmann because we saw how strict and rigid she was with her starting levels in the Euros. Um, but the rotations that we saw, we saw, like you mentioned, obviously Dom just touched on Daly being up top. Alex Greenwood was able to slot into that left back. And I think there's always a fair amount of harsh criticism around her being in that fullback position purely because maybe she's not, you know, the fastest or the paciest um, Alex Greenwood fullback that you could have. But I thought she maintained it very well, the way she cuts in. She's not necessarily you know, that fullback that has to overlap with the winger or, you know, that go up and back like your your modern fullback nowadays. Um, but I thought it was really good to see her in, in that slot again instead of uh, Rachel Daly obviously being up top. She looked like she was composed. Obviously, she's got plenty of those leadership qualities in the back, knows how to dictate, um, make sure the girls are calm around her. And so that I think that's another positive thing that we, that we were able to see was that Alex Greenwald finally got some good solid minutes in that fullback position but I think overall even with the rotation got to see obviously just Park Robinson such bright talent in there they got some very very good minutes in that second game um, but yeah I'd say the main takeaway it was good to see Alex Greenwood finally in that fullback position in that England setup. It's really really exciting to see more, rota- more rotation and more of the young players coming through because like you say as we know from the Euros Viegman doesn't like to change up that starting eleven. even if we take on a team that's maybe lower ranked like as we know we're going to obviously have Haiti in our group now mm-hmm. so 
we don't know we don't know how much rotation there is going to be so it was really exciting to be able to see opportunity particularly Robinson I thought did really really well in this tournament so it'll be really exciting to see what comes of that and obviously Lauren James in this tournament as well I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit more but really really exciting to see as well I'd echo the opinion about Alex Greenwood as well. I mean, the, the thing is, she's such a competent centre-back as well that I think maybe with England not having a huge number of, of centre-back options, I think that's fair to say the strength in depth isn't huge in that position. It's OK. Mm -hmm. But um, I think with her being such a good centre-back as well as left-back, maybe we assume that that there are other players to come in at left back, but I'm not sure that's actually one of England's strongest positions. I think mm. I think they're both weaker positions for England, but the, the, the weakest is left back. And I think actually Greenwood is a better left back than a centre back. I think mm. it would basically be mad for her not to play there. She, I mean, yesterday I thought she was uh, absolutely fantastic. She was basically yeah. a, a constant attacking threat down the left side, which... Um, as I say, if she's such a good centre-back and she's able to play that well as a an attacking full-back, it just shows how versatile and how all-rounded a player she is. I think she's absolutely fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I definitely second that. Mm. She'll good be showing her stats to yeah. Serena, won't she, mm. like she did with Man City. She'll be going, look at these stats. <laughs> that um, left side was dangerous, though, with Chloe Kelly as well. I know she moved yeah. over to the right afterwards, but that was so dangerous, even from the minute go. Yeah, absolutely agree. Between games on Sunday, uh, we had about an hour and a half, so I, I had a chance to sit down with the Arnold Clark Cup ambassador, Farrah Williams. Farrah, it's been a good day here at Coventry, hasn't it? Especially with you being the ambassador for the tournament, what have you made of it? Yeah, a good competitive tournament. Four teams within the top 20 rankings. Um, we've seen an England team that don't know how to lose, um, even with probably not the best performance for 90 minutes. Um, they know how to win games now that probably three years ago they wouldn't have won. So, yeah, it's it's been a positive tournament. We saw, you know, nine changes in today's game against Italy mm. from the first game. So I think it's positive that Serena's giving players opportunities in tournament football um, to showcase themselves. And the crowd as well, a record crowd here at this stadium for any sporting event. Yeah, 32,000, 32 and a half, I think it was. Yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. I said when I was sat up in the stand, you know, it looks like it's a really big crowd and it is. And it's good to see that, you know, some of the crowd have stayed for, you know, the second game with Belgium and Korea Republic. So, yeah, really good that, you know, the fans have stayed out for that. And certainly the numbers in terms of the fans are better for this tournament this year than it was last year. And for the World Cup, England's chances, what do you make of it? Yeah, as good as as good as any, I think, you know, we're European champions now. As I mentioned just there, we don't know how to lose games. We've gone on a 27-game unbeaten run under Serena Biegman. Mm. Um, so it will take some beating to beat this Lioness team. So we're in a really strong position. Um, long time between now and then, you know, think anything can happen. Let's fingers crossed we can keep everybody fit. And we give ourselves a, a really good chance of bringing it home. The second game on Sunday was South Korea against Belgium. Brighton's Lee Gung-min opened a scoring. But Tessa Woolart's goal just before halftime got Belgian level and then Tina De Kangy got the winner. After the game, we caught up with Lee and South Korea manager Colin Bell in his press conference. Uh, a defeat today, but you, you scored. It must be, you must be pleased. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to be score. I'm happy to score. Mm. But we lost. One point. Mm. How's the tournament going for you? Uh, as a team, do you think it's good preparation for the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, we prepare, our preparation is going well. Mm. And then we 
we prepare for the World Cup mm. at a long time. And, and playing here in England somewhere where you know well must be good, you know, in these stadiums as well. Yeah. There have some good crowds here. Yeah. It's, it's amazing because our supporters coming to here to support us. And then it's quite, it's quite hard. Mm. We, we lost. Yeah. They seen your play, us you, play. You seem quite emotional. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not. It wasn't re resolved. We wanted, no. but we have to improve this from this game, mm. and then we learn from this game. And and you play Italy next, so yeah. that's a good game to go into now. Yeah, mm. yeah, we we should have to win the last game. Yeah, we we we're not just here. Mm. You want to win? We want to yeah. win. Okay. Yeah, Great. that's it. I'm disappointed with the result, obviously. I think it was a game that we, sh we should never have lost. We gifted uh, Belgium two goals. I think for the majority of the game, we were the better team. Um, much improved from the England match. We played some really good football at times. Uh, good combination, play fast. Um, but again, um, we just need to have that moment of concentration and decisiveness in those moments. You know, we have it's two minutes to go before half time. We get a throw in, and I'm saying just throw it down the line, work your way down the line. We try and yeah keep possession, lose the ball, and that's how the whole incident then now started, where we conceded. We cleared the header, but into the middle of the goal. So things like that mm. just cost us. And then the second goal, we concede a corner. We have clear philosophy how we defend the corners. We have always two players on the post, and then one player deserts the post, and the ball goes exactly there. Yeah, it wasn't even a like a hard contact with the ball. I've just said to the players, I'm dis really disappointed with the results, but the performance, I'm very pleased. Yeah, and again, I I have to just to reinforce, we are off season, mm. and, and we still played the way we played this evening against a team that's in season. Yeah, so that's encouraging for me that we are capable of doing much more, even though we dominated for long, long periods of the game, even though we're not fit. But now will be the biggest test because we lost a lot of energy to be able to recover in time for Italy. Mm. Yeah, so that will be the biggest test for us now, recovery-wise, and uh, we'll see how we manage that. Do you think you're in good shape going into the summer? We would be definitely in good shape by then because, like I say, we've not the girls haven't played any football since November, not just internationally or any club football. Uh, they only started training in January, um, so they like I say, we we know that where we are in, at the moment, but we will get them top top fit for July, um, and this is why it's so good this experience to see how the European teams play, how physical, how fast. Um, there's some great players that we played against uh, against England. There were some great players on view again from Belgium this evening. Yeah, And, you know, I, I tried to sign Tessa a few years ago for Frankfurt. So I, I know exactly how good she can be. So it was a great uh, learning process for us in these first two games. But I'm just so disappointed tonight because we deserve to get at least a point out of it.
this tournament itself, testing yourself against European opposition, and also the crowd that stuck around as well. That yeah. must be really good for you. Yeah, very pleased. And obviously we had, uh, I think, 200 Koreans, yeah. and then uh, I think 35 uh, Bell families. So <laughs> we were able to boost, my family boosted the attendance as well. But no, I was pleased that so many people uh, hung around. And I think, like, as a neutral uh, um, person, you'd have enjoyed the game. It was a really good game. We went forward, they went forward. There was a lot of excitement. Um, so I think as a, as a neutral spectator, women, uh, a spectator of women's football, everybody could have enjoyed that game this evening. So compliments to both teams. And uh, Lee there, poor old Lee, she was, she was close to tears. I felt like giving her a hug at the end. It didn't get much better for South Korea in the final game either. They kicked off first against Italy. Ji So-yun's composed late finish cancelled out Ariana Caruso's early header for Italy. But it was a frantic final 20 minutes and it was decided with just seconds remaining a substitute barber Bonasayas. A low cross was poked on by Martina Rasucci to break Korea Republic's hearts. I mean, Italy secured at third place. Dom, have you seen improvement around Italy since the Euros? I think they have slightly improved. Um, I think they play a certain style of football, which is the reason why uh, Wiegmann picked her, uh, picked her, picked them to be in this tournament. I mean, Serena Wiegmann uh, has, has been speaking about the difference in quality of the teams that England played in this competition last year and this year. Mm-hmm. Last year was a little bit higher in, in terms of quality with, with England, of course, facing Canada. Um, Spain and Germany, people remember that. Um, this time, maybe one rung down on the ladder in terms of quality with South Korea, Italy. And so Wiegmann did explain why the quality of the um, teams she chose for this tournament is, is one rung down from, from that of last year. And it's because she wanted to face three teams who offer different uh, formational and tactical problems to, uh, from each other. In Italy, very much a transitional team. Um, and they showed that against England, I think, at Coventry. Really dangerous on the counter-attack. They didn't have many opportunities because England's so flipping good. But, you know, when they did have chances, it, it, it looked as if it could end up in a goal every time. And, OK, they got lucky with the goal. They did score. But the fact is they did score against England and not many teams can say that. Um, I have seen improvements. Um, but I, I'm one thing, one thing I would say with them is they are they don't seem defensively as solid as as I thought as I thought they were around that time. I think that's one way in which they've perhaps weakened. But um, no, I don't think there's any cause con- uh, for concern for them. Well, I was going to say that Alex, on the back of that, then with the perceived lack of strength, do you think that could hinder England going into the World Cup? Um, I don't think so because I think playing that slightly lower, as we said standard of teams has given us opportunity to try different things try a lot of these different players and once again it's proven that squad depth that we have um and and actually i think going into the world cup now we're going to be even more confident we're now 29 games unbeaten under vegan which is incredible she's now off the back of we're now off the back of two big tournament wins um it's been in a year. We've now won the Arnold Club twice and obviously the Euros as well. I think confidence will be high going into it. And we know that we've got that incredible squad depth there. And um, particularly up top, look at how many goals we're scoring. Honestly, we're, I think we'll be feeling really, really confident. Mariam, how's the Arnold Clark Cup been perceived over the water? <laughs> um, 
pretty solid i mean it's i mean specifically that canada was participating in it last year the the near the year that it launched it got a fair amount of popularity here um obviously like the other folks just mentioned maybe it's a slight downstep in in, in level it's not your germany it's not you know those big dogs but i think just a echo what the other guys were saying um it's more so that Veeman is out collecting kind of the unorthodox templates right obviously they've got china they've got haiti and, and their group those are not necessarily your top 20 in the world but they play so differently obviously haiti and the Concacaf, i follow them quite closely they're a tough tough cookie to break and obviously them going to the world cup now is, is really positive but for for serena it was really important to go up against you know your south korea sure they had a dominant performance but i mean i don't i remember the last time they played a a, a, a kind of top asian team like that um obviously korea is out of their season so a lot of players are out of form but it was important for her to get that unorthodox style that style that kind of more a low block mid block positional play um your Italy's very you know like dom said transitional they play a lot on the wings and England conceded sure it was a bit of a controversial goal but you know some dangers were there and so the honor Clark Cup is very much loved out here and specifically because the the big launch it had last year even though it was a bit of a downstep I think because of just the different nations that you had obviously don't want to make some fans upset but Belgium is not in the World Cup but Belgium also got two wins in right and so um it looking at the teams before even kicked off a lot of people down here were like you know what this is pretty interesting it's it's going to be good to see how italy are going to rebound possibly from the euros belgium obviously are i'd assume on a, on a vendetta kind of a revenge thing now um and england are are continuing what they're what they're doing and so i think the collection of the teams were good they were interesting and and you know like the others mentioned it's a possible downstep but it's it's important to have those unorthodox templates being tested We'll chat around the controversy around the Canadian national team later, but how pleasing was it to see the Lionesses wear armbands in support of the Canadian team at their game against Italy? Um, no, it's good. It was it was great to see a lot of the nations around the world. Obviously, you had Australia and their Cup of Nations. You had uh, the US and our She Believes Cup, and then obviously uh, Italy did so, just like Belgium and, and England. It's great. Uh, a lot of these English players obviously have played with some of the Canadian players, specifically Janine Becky. Um, she is one of those uh, leaders that is leading the fight now, and she's played obviously with some of the the Manchester City girls. Um, and so it's it's great to see. Uh, solidarity around the world obviously this is an issue that doesn't just uh, require the Canadian fans and the Canadian people to back up the the players but it's important to get the entire uh, sport and and players like the Lionesses who have a huge fan base and a huge following uh, to get the word out equity is obviously important they themselves um, you know a few years back haven't had the best time with the federation they've had to fight for a lot of the resources and so they're ones who've been in the fight They've gotten the resources and they've shown others how important it is to have those resources. And so, yeah, I think it was brilliant, uh, super positive to see players of that pedigree, um, you know, definitely speak on something very important. Over in southern Spain, we had the Pinatar Cup, which Scotland and Wales took part in alongside Iceland and the Philippines. Scotland and Wales drew 1-1 in the second game. Kerry Holland equalising Sophie Howard's opening. What was an intriguing game out there. It was Iceland who won the tournament. They finished two points clear of Wales in second, Scotland in third, and Philippines, who have qualified for their first ever World Cup, finished bottom on zero points. And with a minus seven goal difference, 
Alex, it was an interesting tournament, this Iceland looking stronger all the time. Philippines with a lot of work to do before the World Cup and, and good test for Wales and Scotland. Yeah, really exciting to see again. And um, it's just nice to see like different forms of play, different teams doing well and trying out different things. Um, but I just think generally it's been so exciting to have so many international different tournaments at once, to see so many different teams playing and doing well, particularly teams that aren't going to get to go to the World Cup. Um it's just been a really exciting time for women's football. The She Believes Cup took place in Dallas, Nashville and Orlando and it was a strong lineup with USA, Brazil, Japan and Canada taking part. Marianne, what should have been an exciting tournament has been overshadowed off the field, hasn't it, with, with what is happening with the Canadian team at the minute. And for those that don't know, can you just explain a little bit more to us? Yeah. Uh, so just at the start of the year, the Federation announced uh, massive cuts, massive funding cuts for pretty much every program, every youth program. The men's team is getting their own cuts, but specifically the women's team is getting massive, massive funding cuts, which is um, just really not great considering this is a World Cup year. So obviously a lot of the players were not too happy about this, rightfully so. Um, Janine Becky, Christine Sinclair and Quinn, uh, the players who run kind of the Players Association, um, said and announced that they were going on strike over this. Um, some information was later released that the players actually haven't been paid since 2021. Uh, so that can that means that their entire qualifications uh, for the World Cup last year they haven't been paid for. They're now getting resource resources cuts, funding cuts, youth programs are being cut and pretty much discontinued by September, which is, I mean, that's the worst thing you could do for a federation. Um, and Janine Becky herself was at the Men's Qatar World Cup, so she was in close contact seeing how the federation is able to support a team and and basically said, hey, you know, y- you can't cut funds for for a women's national team who are currently the reigning olympic champions we want to strike and we're, we're basically unable to to do what you're asking us to do the federation said well let's take this to the round table let's discuss let's bargain a few hours later the federation said well you know what we actually don't want to bargain if you're not playing we're going to sue you which is kind of an interesting thing because what they're saying is that we can't pay you but we can sue you so if you don't want to play we're suing you so the players ultimately had to go to the she believes cup they we're pretty much forced to 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 go out uh, to the U.S. and for that training camp. Um, so yeah, a lot of um, questions still raising. A lot of the players have said that if this is not resolved by April, uh, the players are willing to take on that sue lawsuit issue that the federation is is threatening with. Um, they're okay to jeopardize the World Cup. Obviously, this is incredibly and massively disappointing. All the players are asking for are equity, uh, proper resources. Like I mentioned, Janine Becky was at Qatar. She saw the men's. She saw the equipment that they were getting, the the staffing, the support that, you know, the Federation, we're not asking for money that the Federation doesn't have. We're asking for the same money that the Federation is able to give to the men's, uh, to give to the women's in a World Cup here. Might I mention the men's haven't qualified. That World Cup in Qatar was the first one in 36 years. The women's have been qualifying every single year, pretty much. They're, they just won the Olympics. It If you're not supporting your women's team now, if you're not backing them up, it's you know, you're doing something very, very wrong. The Federation has consistently cut funds in a World Cup year. It's an unfortunate trend that we see in the numbers they release. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, the players were forced to play um, and obviously they were emotionally exhausted, uh, having to bargain and strike and then threaten to get sued and all that happening within you know four or five days, including travel, obviously. Um, so yeah, definitely hindered their their performance, but um, yeah, not a, not a great situation to be in at all for the players. 
It's fascinating stuff. Dom, I know you've got a shoot off, so I'll let you go. Thank you very much. Thanks um, for joining sorry, us. Sorry, Alex, lovely to meet you both. So it was the Americans who won the, the She Believes Cup. How mm. was the tournament on the field overall? I think it was super fun. I mean, you've got Brazil just won the Copa America, Japan, one of the biggest powerhouses, um, and then U.S. is the U.S. Uh, and, and Canada, obviously. But the U.S. obviously have come off not the most positive year. Obviously, last year they, they did face a few struggles. They're still kind of um, in that post Jill Ellis era, trying to work around with Vlatko. Obviously, they had that incredible game at Wembley. Uh, were any of you guys there for it, or you didn't didn't get a chance to see it? Alex, you were there. Yeah, it it was good. It it was good, good atmosphere, good game. It it did feel like obviously the USA weren't quite as strong as you know they could have been. So it, you do think mm, was it the best test? But it was still a good game to be at. And obviously the US is full of huge players that people were desperate to see in real life. So that was actually really good. Yeah, I bet that's what a lot of people were saying. But um, back to the She Believes Cup now. Uh, yeah, they had a lot of injured players be back. Obviously, they're still missing Macario, huge player for Leon. Um, so she's an, on her recovery for the ACL injury. It looks like to be on on route for the World Cup roster. But yeah, US looked great. Obviously, they still have a lot of roaming questions around that six spot in their midfield. Um, Lindsay Horan isn't quite fitting in there. They're they're still trying to work out who that defensive stabilizer is um for brazil they had quite an interesting role obviously marta was back you know football you know marta one of the biggest pioneers of the game so there was a great reception when she was on so for the fans it was just awesome to see marta back um and and playing for japan they smashed canada in that last game a good three nil win for them so um yeah i mean you've watched them play it's some of the best football they're so so good so technical so precise with what they play uh, for canada they struggled a little bit but it, overall it was a great competition i think it was going on like right after the arnold clark cup in the morning you'd have the arnold clark cup and then at night you'd have the she believes cup so it was like days full of football it was it was fantastic i just wondered if 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 the feeling there was that um nerves in preparation for the world cup because of everything going on in the background and how you think that that's going to affect it is it going to have improved by then or do we are we concerned i mean and i want to be very positive and say it's it's going to come to a good end because i believe the players that are fighting for it but knowing the federation and just having kept track with them they're really not a great bunch of people you look at the board it's weird because the board has some ex-players on it so you're like well these players obviously were in the same position like 20 odd years ago but they're not really fighting for what the players want. So, I mean, I'm hoping, obviously, a World Cup is a big threat. You would threaten the terms of when you hear players like, hey, we're trying to... It actually doesn't matter. We'll, we'll jeopardize the World Cup. You'd hope that kind of, like, you know, gives them a good shake or a wake-up call. Um, so I want to say, I want to stay positive and say we've got good players fighting for it. But, yeah, it's looking at the record of the Federation, it's really not that great. But you're being optimistic. Yeah. We'll stay optimistic. <laughs> so joining me somewhere in Lisbon, she's sat in a car seat. The car isn't moving, don't worry. It is Inyesh Sampaio. And Inyesh, um, thank you, first of all, for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. And Portugal make it back-to-back tournament qualifications and they'll be at their first ever World Cup. But it was rather dramatic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the inexperience of the Portuguese team showed a little bit towards the end. But then, you know, after 
especially after Cameroon equalized, uh, Portugal were able to react really fast and get that penalty. And that helped Portugal through to the World Cup. Can Portugal improve on their Euro showing, do you think, in this World Cup? I, well, I think we're, Portugal is destined for the third place. Uh, hopefully, we'll get the third place. I don't think Portugal can really beat uh, the US or the Netherlands. But I think we, Portugal can really, you know, make a good impression on the international stage again and maybe get those three points against Vietnam. That's what I think that's the main goal for Portugal in the group stage and in the World Cup. Our first ever, so just being there is historical, and um, I just hope uh, Portugal can, you know, uh, make a good show of their of their talent because there's a lot of talent in Portugal. You said in the past about the federation being a bit lazy towards the women's game in Portugal. Now they qualify for back-to-back tournaments, and it being a World Cup, do you think they'll take a bit more notice now? Yes, definitely. Um, although I've criticized the federation in the in the past, and I do still uh, in a bit, uh, also, you also have to give credit where it's due. And this qualification is also, you know, there's a lot of the federation. There's like a lot of credit to the federation to be given, and I think it's important to to take uh, the good work that has been done and do more of that and also look at the flaws and the work that has been done because there's also a lot of flaws like I've said before and improve on that because uh, I think the only way is up so I'm really eager to see the positive impact that this present uh, presence in the World Cup can bring Brilliant well Ines hopefully we'll uh, we'll join you before the World Cup and and see how preparations are going for Portugal. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and we'll have you back on the pod soon. Yes, definitely. (laughs) That was Ines Sampaio and Mariam. All three teams have qualified through the playoffs are qualifying for the World Cup for the first time. And it's a great achievement to see so many teams in the tournament. What can we expect from Panama and Haiti, do you think? Six CONCACAF teams now. I think that's the most we've had in, in some time. Obviously, that shows you the, the big competition that is happening in, you know, the North uh, north and South uh, regions of the America, the Caribbean. It's great. I think Haiti is, is going to be really, really interesting. I said this earlier on Twitter, but I'm so excited to see Lauren James go up against some of that Haiti talent. I mean, like... I, it's just going to be so, so fun. Obviously, England's going to edge it in, in some ways, but it's going to be super, super tough. They play such an interesting kind of football. It's, it's very aggressive. It's very kind of, you know, we're ready to battle it out, very physical. They don't, you know, they don't budge down. Panama as well, they really fought till the end. So defensively solid in the middle. They're, they're you know, ready to physically crush you on the ball they they double team players it's it's super fun kind of football that we don't really get to see the match out with european teams uh but for the concacaf region it's great for panama obviously they um qualifying for the for the first ever world women's world cup same thing same thing for haiti it's massive for the people it's massive for what football can become in, in those regions um so yeah super positive super positive for the players for the regions for the team it's it's gonna be exciting so coming up next, we'll be, we'll be previewing the weekend's domestic action. Exercise. It doesn't have to mean lycra or a fancy gym membership. A regular brisk 10-minute walk is a great way to get more active. 
Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. To see how much you're doing and how you can fit more into your day, download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. So this weekend sees the fifth round of the FA Cup take place following the international break. And there are a number of Super League Championship matchups. The pick of the round sees Chelsea take on 14-time winners Arsenal at Kings Meadow, the mouthwatering tie of the round. The two teams met at the Emirates last month in a league match in a 1-1 draw, which Sam Kerr scored very late on to get a point for Chelsea. Emma Hayes' Blues currently sit second, six points ahead of the Gunners in fourth. So, Alex, with this being a cup game, do you expect there to be a more open feel to this game than in January's league game, which was a bit cagey? Definitely. It's the magic of the FA Cup. Anything can happen. It is a bit of a shame that these two sides are meeting a bit earlier in the competition, I will say. But I do think that it's all to play for in the world, uh, in the FA Cup, obviously. And with Arsenal sitting, like you said, six points, is it, behind Chelsea in the league? Mm. They're going to be out for blood, I think. So, yeah, big game. I'm really excited to see it. Do you think the international breaks come at a good time for Arsenal as well? Um. I mean, obviously, players are going to have been away from training, but I think it gives people time to go and probably get out of that headspace and do something different and come back feeling positive, get back into training, ready for the next part of the season and obviously pushing for the FA Cup as well. So, yeah. Elsewhere, Manchester United take on a championship side. Durham United, as we know, are currently top of the Super League. Durham, however, have had some strong recent seasons in the league and it's their first season as a full-time club, which they're gradually adapting to. They narrowly have missed out on promotion the last couple of seasons. They're nowhere near it this year. But do you think they'll travel to Manchester with nothing to lose and see it as a chance of testing themselves against some of the best, especially if maybe United decide to rest some of the players? Absolutely. But Man United are ruthless at the minute. Absolutely ruthless. And going into an FA Cup game as an underdog is always really exciting. And you never know what can happen. But I do think even if Man United do rest players... They are just looking so informed, so confident. I think that will be a really, really tough game. But I will always root for the underdog. Yeah, Manchester City haven't won the FA Cup for the, for the last three years. They take on Bristol City, who are top of the Championship. is a matchup from the Conti Cup from a few weeks ago, which City won comfortably. So we'll be interested to see how that one goes. However, Cardiff City ladies, not to be confused with Cardiff City women, the team associated with the men's EFL one. They are the only side left outside of the top two tiers and they will face Lewis. The Welsh club who play their trade in the fourth tier of the English system were already the lowest ranked side heading into last month's fourth round clash against third tier Burnley, which they then went and won. So a berth in the fifth round also sees the fully amateur side take on £15,000 with the guarantee of another £5,000 if they get through this round and the prospect of £20,000 if they produce an even greater shock win. Alex, Cardiff, a great story in the story of the Cup so far. So how do you see this one going? Again, underdogs, so I'm rooting for them. The only thing is, I'm pretty sure Cardiff have a player who is fighting for Golden Ball uh, in the, in the obviously, top goal scorers. And we, a hashtag, are currently have Sammy, who's sat yeah. top of that competition. So I can't root for them too much. Or even if they do well, I hope she doesn't score because <laughs> I want Sammy to go on the pitch uh, before the game and collect the Golden Ball award. But the financial incentive, you you know yourself, Alex, being at that level, it's massive for the club, isn't it? Even if they don't get their big Super League tie, they'll yeah. fancy chances of producing a display 
in this game and, and, and it'll set them up for the next few seasons. Definitely. And I think one of the things that we found when we went away to Coventry, although we didn't win, actually having that funding behind us meant that we could get a coach up together, stay in a hotel together. And it was really, really good in terms of team bonding. And for that, for them, that might be what actually gets them over the line. The fact that, that they've got that behind them, they've managed to build. It's not stressful. It's not a stressful journey in the morning because they've managed to have all this routine leading up to it. But actually, like you say, that amount of money compared to what we've had previously is absolutely huge and I'm sure for them like you say it's not just a reward for this and and, it, and it's fun it actually is enough to set the club up or keep them going for the next few seasons absolutely particularly in a high level where you've got to travel a lot further away to games it just really takes the pressure off I'm sure with it being an overnight so you could produce a lot of great content couldn't you um, yeah, we did produce a lot of content. Most of it was around food <laughs> and sleepovers, but it was really, really fun. And at the end of the day, like obviously we're we're high high standard football. It's professional, but also it's fun because we've all got full time jobs as well. So actually, that made a massive difference. In two of the other rounds matches, Brighton, who knocked out WSL side Everton in the fourth round, will travel to Charlton Athletic, and Brighton will host Coventry. Of course, the middle inside the bottom of the championship. They beat hashtag, as we mentioned, in the last round. Um, and they're in decent form at the minute. Brighton are also struggling for form. And at the wrong end of the the uh, WSL, they'll be wanting to do a lot better there. Uh, but they say league form goes out of the window in the cup. Both sides will be hoping that's the case here. If anything, Coventry are in slightly better form, aren't they, Alex? Why would you bring that up? That's what I want to know. Now Coventry, they've they've dragged themselves out from the bottom, haven't they? They've they they've done a good job of signing some WSL players on loan, and when we we played them, they look confident. Um, they've got a really tall girl up front whose name I can't remember right now. She's a WSL player on loan. Um, and yeah, they they had nothing to lose, and that's how they've been playing, and uh, they've started to pick up points now, and so probably actually they will go into this feeling more confident than Brighton are. Um, and that could be a, a good upset there for them. It's another all WSL clash between Aston Villa and West Ham. And the Claret and Blues of Villa are having a really good season under Carla Ward. Now, Mariam, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, we've dubbed it Carla Ball. But do you think they could be dark horses for the FA Cup? A hundred percent. I think we need another runner up like that. And I think if it seems to do it. It's got to be Aston Villa. They've looked, I mean, dynamite. Obviously, they've put on such a good run. They've signed such good players. They've done such good business. And Carlo Ward is, has been killing it, developing the young players, but also combining the veterans in, in the squad. And yeah, I think uh, a lot of people uh, are rating them. And like Alex said, everybody loves a good dark horse, loves a good uh, underdog. If they can continue to be the dark horses and the underdogs that can possibly finally mix up kind of that final four, yeah, that'd be great for the competition and great for the league overall. I think Villa have been my most exciting, improved team to watch this year in the WSL. So it would be nice to see them go a bit further. And Spurs take on Ready. That is another WSL clash. In the National League North at the top, Nottingham Forest host Huddersfield. Uh, any slip up from Forest can see Wolves take advantage as they travel to Loughborough Lightning. And it's third v fourth in the south as Watford can put pressure on the top two if they win it at Switch Town. In the division below, Alex, a big match for Hashtag this weekend. It's a top of the table clash against AFC Wimbledon. 
Yeah. So when us and Wimbledon have been fighting for promotion together for the last two or three years, it's been really, really tight. This year, it's probably opened up a little bit because they have dropped more points than us. Um, but we are currently unbeaten in the league and we will be going into this game feeling confident. Um, we've got a little bit of a cushion now. I think we've got six points clear now. Um, our goal difference is massive. Um Having said that, we've come off the back of Sunday. We played 120 minutes in the County Cup and lost on penalties in the end. So confidence a little bit low after that. We had a midweek game as well last night against London Seaward, um, who actually played really, really well and did test us. But we came away with a 3-1 win. Um, so legs might be feeling a little bit tired coming into this game, although we have just made a couple of new signings, a couple of fullbacks. Um so yeah, I mean, if we if we come out of this Wimbledon game with all three points, as long as we don't slip up the rest of the season, it's all in our hands. We will we've got that cushion, and we've been looking for the last three years for promotion and narrowly missing out. So this has got to be the year. It has to be the year. Um, we need to get into tier three. We've showed that we can compete in that league. Um, we we beat Ipswich in the National League Cup. We took Watford to extra time in the National League Cup. Um, we took Billericay last last week, as I said, to penalties. Um, so no tier three team has beaten us within the ninety minutes. Um, which is quite a nice stat. But um, yeah, we need to be up there in tier three next year. Yeah, the club's a bit of a phenomenon, isn't it? Because obviously it's basically been built through social media, like the men's team. And is there that verve as well when the women's team play on a Sunday? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's exciting. We definitely feel the pressure and we know that we know that teams will always turn up for us. So we might have played against teams who maybe haven't haven't had all their players around in other games or, you know, but but for our game, there's 18 players fighting, fighting to play and, and they're all coming for us. And, and that's fine. Like we, we want to be at the top. That's what we want. And that's kind of the target we've put on our backs. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting and 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 it's nice that people from all around the world we know are watching our games as well. Um, and I generally like obviously it's nice for us because it's exciting to to play under that badge. But it, I think it's also really really cool for women's football because uh, more it's more much more accessible. People get to see us like I say from all around the world and and with the content that I make with our team as well, people can also see behind the scenes the highs and lows of football of which there are many. So, yeah, it's really, really exciting. Brill. Um, well, if anyone wants to follow you on Instagram, Alex, how can they do it? Uh, it's at Alex Bayless on Instagram. Not too difficult. Uh, you can also look at my YouTube and my Twitter as well to stay up to date. Just bring in an insight into tier four, hopefully next year, tier three of women's football. And surely you're on TikTok as well. I am on TikTok as well, but I need to up my TikTok game. <laughs> Oh. everything is done in landscape on youtube all right it takes a long time to edit <laughs> but yeah my tiktok is alex underscore bayless as well and there'll be more world cup world cup content coming mariam um if people want to listen first of all to your podcast and then follow you on twitter where, where can we find you yeah everything is at, at she scores bangers my twitter is at at she scores banger no s at the end we're keeping it singular um but yeah nice and simple spotify apple music youtube twitter Everything's nice and free and accessible for you. Oh, there we go. That's how you can subscribe to us as well and listen across all 
podcasting platforms and give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. Thank you for everyone who's followed our stories over the last couple of days at the Lionesses Games and, and started to follow us on Twitter. It is much appreciated. Have a great week, everyone. We'll be back on Monday to review the FA Cup action. So we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>